0: Hey everyone, welcome to this podcast brought to you by RaptorAid and hosted by me, Jimmy Hill. During the coronavirus lockdown, we decided to host some live interviews with raptor conservationists and experts from all over the world. The podcast you're about to listen to was recorded during the lockdown period live on Facebook, Apologies if some of it sounds a little bit disjointed and we go a little bit off track with questions from the audience but hopefully you'll enjoy listening to your favourite expert right here on Raptor Rambles. Have you ever just sat there reading a National Geographic article and drifted off to the rainforest or the mountain tops? Well, that's exactly what happened to me when I read about Everton Miranda, the raptor biologist working in Brazil to save one of the largest eagles on the planet. I knew I just had to get him on the podcast. So here we have Everton Miranda talking all about harpy eagles. Right. Okay. Uh, welcome to Raptor Aid, Everton Miranda. Uh, you're We're speaking to you. You're in Brazil, aren't you, at the moment? Yeah, yes, uh, I'm in Brazil, in Mato Grosso. Right. Thank you, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. Um, thank so you for the, the the gist of it is, they're always dead, as, as as I think I said to you, they're always dead relaxed. So it was just a case of I wanted to get you on um, to talk to you about the the fantastic work that you do with with harpy eagles in in Brazil. Um, so it's really the the floor sort of yours to to talk about the work. I, I obviously I think as I mentioned to you, I came across you. Uh, reading the natural geographic National geographic sorry um, interview that that came out sometime at the beginning of April so yeah I, cool. I read that um, and so yeah start start from the beginning. you're a bit biologist based in Brazil go on start carry on.
1: So I was a biologist uh, raised in southeastern Brazil that is the most developed part of the country near by the coast Okay. I have been always interested in big predators. As you may remember from the the National Geographic piece, I have a a past on fighting sports. So I like fighting a lot. I have a kind of a pleasure on on blood and violence. (laughs) And I started to study top predators as soon as I graduated. So I did my master's on anacondas. I studied anacondas for two years. And I was about to go or for jaguars or for harpy eagles in the PhD. But the thing was that there's a lot of good people studying jaguars in South America, like perhaps hundred, hundred and ten very good researchers working on jaguars. And I didn't saw that much space to grow as a researcher on jaguar. Compared to HARP eagles, and then I started to do something on HARP eagles. And the thing was that I was not, let's say, so interested in making a meaningful impact on conservation. But a funding agency from from the UK, called Ruffer you probably know it. Yeah. Told me, well, you're asking us for for that money, and you're. Telling us about a lot of interesting stuff regarding conservation, but how how do you transform the reality, right? How do you transform the problems you you're dealing with? Yeah. And then I came with the tourism thing that was kind of an adventure in the in the beginning, but it worked perfectly. And that's kind of what is happening nowadays. We are surfing that way, that functioned well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so so obviously, just yeah. I, I, anyone who hasn't read the article on National Geographic, I'll I'll put a link up on to on to in the comments or something underneath this. So yeah, you had it was it was quite an interesting background, really. You you you're big into your mixed martial arts. I think do I remember you got into martial arts at twelve years old or something like that, and yes. then you did your pro, you know you went professional with it and and you did some illegal well, well sort of yeah. you know sort of yeah legal sort of fighting with it as well and then what I can't remember reading it in the article what was the bit where way for well actually I want to you know I want to feed my my desire for blood and violence and jump to predators. What? What was it? Your parents, or was it just? Well, I need to grow up. Sort of moment in your life, or I don't know what. It was actually
1: uh, understanding that there was something unethical about punching another human being in the face for the for the fun of a third human being. Yeah. And on nature, I found a kind of violence that's not wrong. That has no no moral grounds, right? Predation has no moral grounds. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And then I found a, a kind of blood, a kind of violence that I could could like without uh, having any any moral compass on it.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and then it, it was just fun. It is just fun up to yeah. up to nowadays. It's the the best job on earth, for real. Right.
0: Yeah. Every, I mean, every really, time I have
1: twenty thousand camera trap photos of a harpy eagle nest to, to to check, I'm really happy
0: with my job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I can imagine I can tell you this now, and I'm not a, I'm not in, a violent person at all. But I'd rather look at twenty thousand images of a harp eagle than get punched in the face. That sure. <laughs> so, so yeah, but, well, that's just what I'm into. Um, so you obviously, yeah, the, the, touching on anacondas. So you you obviously you did your masters in anacondas, and I remember reading a really interesting bit about how you set yourself the challenge of finding 200 anacondas, was it, in 45 days? Is that yeah, right? Yes. And everyone thought you were bonkers. I, I mean, for someone who knows nothing about reptiles, really, and birds of prey, mad. mad. How, how easy is it to find an anaconda in, in the rainforest? It's a nearly impossible thing,
1: like finding that many on, on such a short time. But I, it was not an effort, a, a macho effort, of Doing everything by myself and finding that many. I actually partnered with a management team in Northern Argentina. Mm. And with them, I was able to find a very large number of individuals. It seems that I froze. No, it's all
0: right. At you're first, back. Yeah, okay. you're all right. You can't, yeah, carry on. We've got you. Yeah. Okay.
1: So I partnered with that team, with that management team, and I eventually was able to find that many individuals in such a a short time span. Yeah. And it was done during the winter. Everything was done in a way to maximize my chances of finding anacondas. So it worked very well. And that was like my main thing working with the yellow anacondas and size them. I'm trying to create a formal project on green anacondas in the Amazon. That seems to, to to happen in 2021. I may be with another with another project in 2021 with green anacondas again, but that that is the reason why my first sampling worked so well. I was partnering with the right people in the right timing and so on.
0: Yeah, okay. So that, I mean, I, yeah, I couldn't, <laughs> off the back of this then, how do you you obviously enjoy the 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 environment of the rainforest which is you know i've only spent a a few weeks in, in rainforests and um yeah i i um i can imagine that it's well it's it's hard work full stop so what do do, do do you find it a, a chore or a, a just part you've just got to get on with it or how do you feel you know in swamps and you know finding trying to find a, a snake or a harpy eagle in the rainforest? Well, it is interesting because
1: I'm I'm actually a guy that favors more open spaces. I prefer mm-hmm. wetlands and savannas than than forests. The forest is a bit claustrophobic for me. Yeah, But I came to the arc of deforestation in the Amazon forest a couple of years ago and I was absolutely traumatized by it. I could not live without doing something for that region. And then I came to work here. But the forest is not, the let's say, the most comfy environment for me. Yeah, It's too dark, too close. Climbing is not my thing either. I learned it... Because I need to, but it, yeah. I, I fucking hate hates. Like I'm fully afraid of it, but I do it because it's my work nowadays.
0: Yeah, but I'm
1: more a guy, a savanna guy, a wetland guy. I
0: prefer <laughs> more more open spaces.
1: Whereas the forest is beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. And but I hear that you you, you if you I you follow anyone who works in the rainforest they, and and those sort of environments, they all say the same thing that it's hideous. And I remember years ago um, when the peregrine fund used to put out when they started their panama harpy eagle and they were going to do hack sites and actually you used to be able to apply to go and work on it and i remember applying myself to go on it um and a friend of mine put me off and he said do not in, in, he says, "Do not go and spend six months in the rainforest." He'd spent a lot of time out there, and he was like, "It will be your worst nightmare." It's hitting, and, and that was it. I said, "I said no," uh, and I kind of wish I'd done it now. If, if either had the opportunity, quit <laughs> it? you never, never did it. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't follow it up. The, so, uh, but I kind of wish I did now. But anyway, such is, <laughs> such is <laughs> it's life. So
1: actually,
0: I never got there because I think
1: I was too young when it was actually happening. But I end up
0: publishing part of the data with them. Oh, brilliant! Yes, yeah, well, that's fantastic. So, yes. obviously, you now on, you you switch from snakes to to um, to harpy eagles. Um, how long have you been working on harpy eagles for now? Then uh, four years. And notes that I don't consider
1: myself a specialist, neither on snakes or on harpy eagles. I understand predation a bit as an ecologist. But I need to be really close to ornithologists and falconers and herpetologists in the case of anacondas to do my job. So it's no no act of arrogance that I think that I am a specialist in all groups. It's not the case. Yeah, I just understood the methods, and I'm close to people who understand those species really well. So it's the
0: so it is it's the predatory aspect of it that that attracts yes. you to it, not necessarily the the individual species, but I suppose you, 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 like anything, you have to have a, a fondness of, of the individual species that you that you're monitoring or working on. Um, mm-hmm. so so harpy eagles, then how? I, I mean, I am someone who in in the UK here, I'm, I'm fortunate enough. I spend a lot of time monitoring nests when when we haven't got a pandemic stopping us from going out. Um, and I love it, I love nest finding. Um, I've been fortunate enough to spend some time in the Philippines um, and, and we, I've been to a Philippine Eagle nest. And I have to admit, one of my first remarks was, how on earth have you found this nest? Because it was, in the middle, I mean, it was, and a lot of it, a lot of the forest had been cleared. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't dense primary fo- forest. But yeah, so how do you find a, an, an eagle nest in a rainforest? It just baffles me and I spend a lot of time looking for nests.
1: Oh, they are actually they're nearly they're impossible, impossible to possible. find. Nearly impossible to find. When I, when I made my sampling design before starting the project, my plan was to find them by myself because I was perhaps overconfident after my success with Diana anacondas during my master. And that was the most uh, stupid idea I ever had in my life. And the thing is that I started walking doing line transects on the forest. And I would stop every every 100 meters maybe, and do a Harpy Eagle playback, check the emergent trees with the binoculars and see if I found a nest. And when I walked I think 42 kilometers I found the first one, like it was 50 meters from a road, a logging road. Yeah. It was amazing, perhaps one of the best experiences of my life, like going there, and I was like, that looks like a eagle nest. And I got under under the nest, and there was a, a slot jaw. That's a, a very good indication that is actually eagle nest nesting there. And I just made the map. I was like, well, I can walk perhaps 80 kilometers a month and I'll find the two nests every month and I will find a, a shitload of nests. And then I started walking everywhere a lot. <laughs> I walked, I made it perhaps a little more than 400 kilometers of, of line insects and didn't find anything else, like zero, 0.0000. 000. I found three harpy eagles, no nests at all. And I realized that this was not going to work. And I decided to partnership with people that's doing land transects in the forest all the time that are the Brazil nut collectors. They work on the bush all the time. And the main tree for harpy eagles to do their nests here, specifically in Southern Amazonia, is on Brazil nut trees. It's the main main breeding species and then they, they, I offered them a, a monetary reward for each nest they found and I started to to work in partnership with them which worked perfectly and they have been finding nests since this time so by nowadays I think 90-95 percent of the nests we have have been found by Brazil collectors.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. it's exactly the same with the with the Philippine eagle nest that was found by one of the one of the um, locals who was uh, working on his banana plantation. Um, so it's exa- So you're now working with Brazil Brazil nut harvesters, people in the in the forests that are and and, and funding. Obviously, there's a monetary incentive for them to to find find a nest. Do, going back to the nest that you found, because when you smiled, when you said you were over the moon I mean, I've been there, I still get that excitement when I find a a nest of a species like, you know, I find. But it's interesting, I I can also relate to the walking thing because one of the species that I, I monitor in the UK is the goshawk, which is a forest bird nowhere near on the scale that, that you're, you're monitoring, uh, or the, the, the Amazon, the area you're covering. But I remember the first time I started monitoring them, I did the same as you. And I used to just walk around, walk around. And then, a, a, a somewhat Robin, a friend of mine, who's got many, many years experience la- laughed at me and he had a saying for it. He used to say, you, you've either got, um, got, you either have golden boots, or cauliflower arse. And basically golden boots is these young kids who want to just yomp around everywhere and look and oh I'll find it. And the cauliflower arse is just to sit outside the, 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 the forest and watch for the birds displaying and then they'll they'll show you roughly where they are and then you go in. And yeah, so so yeah, I learned quite quickly that I needed more of a cauliflower arse than golden boots, um, with that. Do you th- that that nest that you found, do you think that was um, luck then or was it just pure luck pure luck yeah. um,
1: was nearby roads and it's a fucking huge structure a yeah. tree uh, had felt between myself and the nest recently so it made just the perfect window and the chick was just in the right age to answer very des- desperately for uh, adult playback just uh, the the days before they they fledged, yeah. where they are really responsive to, to playback. So that was it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I you I play mean, playback you... anymore? answer, I got the binoculars on the on the right spot. Got there and found it. And it was a beautiful nest. It is until now. It is a, one of the most beautiful nests we have. One of the tallest trees, most beautiful ones. But the thing is that you cannot do that by yourself, and everyone uh, gave me an advice against it, telling me oh, don't don't offer people rewards or finding nests, yeah, because that will generate problems. One of them was Neurotic, that I bet you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and he told me two two stories about it, not him personally, but. Eduardo Alvarez Cordero, from Venezuela, told me two stories from him working with that kind of, of methods. The first of them was that he offered a reward, a very small reward, for people to, to find nests for him in Guyana, in northern South America. Mm-hmm. and people started fighting over nests because sometimes it was an indigenous community where more than one generation knew the same nest and the, the ownership was kind of blur the ownership of it was kind of blur and yeah. people started fighting and started to write the, the, the names on on the party eagle nest trees and so on and, Start to threaten the, the the eagles because they were not getting a reward, and someone else was, and so on. And Neo also has a story of the kind that he came uh, in indigenous communities in the Philippines for yeah. the Philippine eagle, and he told people, "Oh, I need nests with eggs from that eagle species, and so on." And I don't know how much of that is a is Folklore, or is the actual story? Yeah. But the thing is that Neil came back a couple of months later and people had Philippine eagle eggs, Philippine eagle nests, Philippine eagle feathers on their homes to show to Neoretic. Like they did, didn't, they did found the nest, broke it home, and tried to sell it to, to Neoretic later. Don't know how much of truth that story is. But the thing is that I was very careful here from the beginning to establish very clear rules regarding the Brazilian net collectors about how I would pay them, how I would pay the landowner and how they could get compensated fairly for it in case more than one person found an ass and so on. And for me here, I never have had problems regarding that kind of subject. I always have been able to share the reward between more than one person yeah. and to offer the, the landowner a compensation or something like that. So it's working well for me.
0: Oh, brilliant. Okay. And do, do you think that's partly because you've obviously linked up with um, organize, the organisations that, that manage the Brazil Nut Collecting, or how, how does that work? Is it, is, is it an organisation that buys the nuts and dispenses them, or...?
1: Normally they have little associations and cooperatives, that go collecting nuts in the in the forest and what's what happens usually is that uh, i go to the storage place they have they normally have a big space to put the nuts while they are waiting to sell it yeah. and it puts posters on it and those posters explain how much a nest is worth and why i need it I explained that's not for capturing the eagles that I install cameras on the nests. Mm-hmm. It has the number of my permit. I it's everything writing there. I'm a researcher. I need to do that because of two reasons. Here is my WhatsApp number, here is my Facebook, here is my email. If you yeah. know anything, please contact me. And I also go to, to same associations and cooperatives and give them small lectures about Harp Eagles and my work and the tourism. Yeah. And they end up learning a bit and they actually enjoy it a lot because besides the reward I pay them, we also hire them to help us when we are doing tourism. Yeah. So they help us transporting towers and managing the trails and cleaning the trails and doing that kind of work so how, as the the brazil net collection job is seasonal they have something else to work with and yeah. our other timings of the year
0: i excellent so with the 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 all the kilometers that you covered um back when you you were wandering about the forest ch- trying to find find nests have you have you found any nests in any of the sites where you've walked through and you just didn't didn't see them? Have you covered that again? Or a Brazil nut? The Brazil nut workers have they found any nests? And you've gone? Oh, I walked. I was. I was within a kilometer of that when I was doing my transects.
1: Yeah, in the same property, I found the first nest. They found a second one that was like sixty meters from a road. I passed it by like two or three times, and I could never see it. Yeah. But they just go under each nest, collecting nuts. And this one was one of them.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's work, It's working now. In, you, obviously, <clears throat> I, I don't. We can't. We can't talk about the Amazon, and, and you mentioned logging roads, and, and talk about, um, and not talk about deforestation. So the, that's the biggest threat to harpy eagles, I presume. Reading yes. The other
1: approaching. Um, yeah. Both are highly problematic in the region I live. That's not the case all over the Amazon, but here where I live, we have a big problem with deforestation on the arc of deforestation, on the southern, southeastern, and eastern portion of the Amazon forest. So this is being incinerated outside the end, mainly for cattle ranching. And that's a big problem. The thing is that in Brazil, our environmental law is pretty strong. And when you have a property in the Amazon forest specifically, you can only fell 20% of it. And you must keep the river borders and the sections of it that has more than 45 degrees of inclination. And how much of a river border you must keep depends on the river side, size, right? Bigger river, bigger forest, you, you must keep on that. Keep, yeah. And the problem is that there is no compensation for someone who occupies the land with cattle ranching to keep those 80% of forest there, right? Yeah. Essentially, they want to break the law because it's a a financially sterile place for them. And with the tourism, I can offer an option to make the portion of, of forest profitable. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: But the main problem on our region is for sure deforestation. And we are on a on a 10 year record now for forest loss. On the current year, we are on a 10
0: year high. And what what's what's behind that high? Because again, coming from um the based in the UK, you know, we, we depend on or I depend on the news and obviously in the world we live in now there's a lot of fake news Bol- bolsonaro the president it comes under a lot of flack on or certainly reading about reading about him in the press there's never really a good article when it comes about bolsonaro and the environment when they when they're, they're in the same story so is it is it the set, is it all doom and gloom in that sense with bolsonaro in charge
1: Thing, but
0: yes, the press in Brazil will show. you are very political on this discussion. As soon as he assumed, I think I froze. Yeah, you did. I think I think it's because I started talking about politics and I didn't like it. That's why. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, I don't want to get too political,
0: but no,
1: no. it that uh, Brazil is on a current economic crisis that started on 2014, exactly because of the drop on the prices of the commodities we sell, right? As for instance, soybean, meat, wood, and so on. And as soon as Bolsonaro reached the power, he cuts the funds for forest caring institutions by 50%. And he also has a very good relationship with the mining sector of Brazil, besides the productive sector. So the increases increased a lot. First, because you have less uh, law enforcement lately. And second, because you have a, a rise on the meat prices induced by China. So you have two processes working together to increase deforestation. And the thing, Jimmy, uh, one thing that I like to make for to understand is that Brazil has like a hundred million people that make less than $100 per month, right? Yeah the Amazon forest will be integrated to our economy, no matter what, don't don't have any illusions that the future is different from that, right? The thing is that it can be integrated to, to Brazil's economy through sportive fishing, sustainable logging, tourism and bioprospection of pharmaceutical products and so on. Or it can be integrated through cattle ranching, right? The second scenario is not, not the one I want. Yeah. So yeah. what we are eventually trying to do is to make that integration in a smart way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I complete I can completely understand understand that. Having seen it in again in going back to time in the Philippines, it's about it's all about finding finding a balance really. Um, in favor of the environment because it's it's not a finite resource. So so yeah, I can I completely understand where what you mean by that. Um, I've got a couple. I've got a couple. Someone's asked a question. We'll go back to harpy eagles, and this question will will out because that's what we really want to talk about. Is someone's asked how many birds are still left in the wild? But I think reading the article, you, there's no definitive figure, is there? On on. No no no. Because few people have published uh, the densities. Uh,
1: one <laughs> one not so great trait of heart-ego researchers is that they're not publication prone So, a lot of people have many nests and them, didn't publish uh, many data about them. So, we have a single publisher density from Panama that's made by Jesus, you may know him. He works for the Peregrine Fund. He made a very good job on calculating the density on Panama yeah especially for indigenous reserves and so on and we suppose it varies between three and six nests per 100 square square kilometers i suppose it's kind of the same in the amazon forest and elsewhere in south america that we've arrived between two, two two points of three six nests between uh, each 100 square kilometers, but we don't have any estimates for the whole for the whole Amazon forest or for what remains. What we know is that 93% of the current range is on the Amazon forest. And the 7% remaining are the population of pockets in Central America and in the Atlantic forest.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so essentially, the Amazon rainforest is is critical for the survival of this this species. But again, in like in the in the National Geographic article, um, uh, it hits the nail on the head saying if you protect the harpy eagle, you are going to protect a whole host of other species and, 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 and the, well, yeah, the, the whole of the Amazon, essentially, if you look after the predators, then, then it, you know, it cascades down through the, through the rest of the species. So it's, yeah, it's important work.
1: Yes, and um, we also protect the, the mega trees that they depend on nesting, the, the prey species and so on. So it's a very interesting species to work from the point of view of tourism that can deliver a lot in terms of conservation. Uh, it's a, a truly umbrella species, and it's
0: it's much easier to see than a jaguar or an anaconda. So, yeah. So well we'll, we'll come on. I, I will. I'll, we'll come on to tourism towards towards the end. I, I just want to find out a bit more about harpy eagles. Obviously, you've you've been to a nest. The, the picture that you on your Facebook post that you did earlier. The picture you put up is i have to admit i i climb trees i, I do all rope climbing and i don't mind it too much I'm, I'm i'm not too bad at it considering i'm a bit of a fat lad but am you know i get i can get off a tree is that you up the up in the photo
1: yeah that's me no, unfortunately
0: it's me that because that's an epic photo though that is that is an epic <laughs> photo, um, so how high up is that? What what sort of that's in a Brazil nut tree,
1: is it? It's a Brazil nut tree, and that one specifically is thirty-five meters on the first fork on the first fruitation. Okay, and the average <coughs> the average here is thirty-three meters. That's a ten-store beauty.
0: Yeah, it's to anyone who doesn't understand that's high. That's very (laughs) that's very high. Very
1: hard to survive if you make a mistake up there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to make a mistake up there. (laughs) Absolutely. And so you're up you're up at the nest. Obviously these nests are used for for several years. What's the obviously you've been monitoring harp eagles for four years. Are there any have you got any records of nests that have been used? year after year after year, going past four years?
1: Yes, they actually use the same nests for decades in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are aware that the eagles can live 50, 70 years in captivity. We suppose that they live kind of 35 years in the wild. Mm-hmm. And they nest on the same tree unless something bad happens, like uh, a lightning or, don't know, right. African bees colonize the tree, that kind of stuff. Otherwise, they stay on the same nest tree. We had a nest here in, in my state, in Mato Grosso's state, that had a nest from, from 94 to
0: 2015.
1: Wow. In a single tree. And people told me, I'm not sure about that, but people told me, reliable people told me, that the nest that Niall Ratti studied in Guyana in the sixties is still active, nowadays Yes.
0: Wow, that's fast. That's awesome. Brilliant.
1: That, that um, would be a cool place to, to to visit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That is. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, in terms of obviously. The, the adult bird you you're going up and what what's the purpose of putting cam because you put cameras on on the nest what's the what's the main or what are the purposes of putting the cameras on the nest for people who have never experienced this sort of thing before my main purpose with the
1: cameras is to describe the feeding habits and how does it get impacted by logging and habitat loss right so depending on how much pasture or logging you have around the nest, I can understand how how lesser they are feeding, how less biomass they consume and how the species composition changes. Tools are my best interest, And I start camera trapping as for tools reasons, but we end up learning much more than we suppose. Uh, so for instance, I can do activity patterns, Activity pattern uh, estimations to tell the tourists where is the exact time they should show up in a tower to see the harpy
0: eagles, for instance, to maximize the chances of seeing one. Of course, yeah, yeah, with the with the tourism, yeah. So, what sort of because because harpy eagles? Um, anyone who's who's read about them or looked at them on on YouTube or somewhere like that, they're sort of synonymous with the um, sloth, and, and, you know, there's a very well-known, well, known, well a, a YouTube video of one grabbing a sloth on. What sort of prey, what sort of prey are they are they feeding on in, in your area? What, what makes up a large part of their diet?
1: Before I start with that, do you know where this slot grabbing video came from? No, don't tell me it's made up. I don't know. Go on. <laughs> it's made up, but it's from a time... It's from a time it was okay to made stuff up.
0: Right, okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> okay, well ignore that. You've you've shattered many people's illusions of harpy eagles. And <laughs> uh, I'm sure I'm sure it does it does happen. So what what sort of things are they are they bringing into the nest then? But sorry, let, let me finish the story of the of okay. this lot. It's a cool one. Oh god. Uh, on.
1: neoretic but there's lot there to see the harpy ravenous, grabbing it.
0: And he personally
1: Personally filmed it and he described it. He describes how he did so in the first Harp Eagle paper published. Wow. It's like one that. of the last few paragraphs in the in the whole paper. Go to check on it. And he calculated the, the speed of the Harp Eagle to, to go grab it and so on. And actually remasterized the, the video like 200 times and <laughs> nowadays. And that's the story of the single video we have of a hard eagle catching prey. So speaking about slots, on my study site, as I am in Southern Amazonia, we have like three months of a dry season here. Yeah. And we don't have such a, uh, let's say, constant rainfall in two months and constant air humidity. So I don't have here two pillar slots Oh, sorry, I don't have three toed slots here. I have two toed, and they are not as much abundant as they are in Central Amazonia. So they are still the main prey, but not so common as elsewhere. I would say the normal thing is that 50% of our eagle diet is just lot. And here is like a third, maybe, by okay. like 30% of the total diet is sloth. And then we have all kinds of our prey. capuchin monkeys, lesser and theater, uh woolly monkeys, coates, iguanas, curasols, and so on.
0: Brilliant. Okay. Oh, fantastic. So what, I mean, I'm interested to know this, actually. What, if you can sort of encapsulate it into a, a paragraph. What are you finding with with diets and deforestation? What what are the sort of standout things that are, are sort of showing up to you already?
1: Well, I didn't wow. made any formal analysis of that subject yet, but the thing seems to be, uh, let's say, a bit idiosyncratic, like each Pair of eagles is taking a kind of different solution to deal mm-hmm. with deforestation and, and logging. The thing you observe with logging, the most common thing to observe with logging, is that they start to eat a lot of lesser anteater because logging leaves a lot of wood debris inside the forest that end up having a lot of termites that okay. end yeah. up feeding a lot of lesser, lesser and lesser anteater and the harp eagle, eat a lot of them. That's the, okay. the case with logged sites essentially. And on degraded places, on places that have been degraded by by cattle ranching, that's clear cut of the forest, you see an increase of less requiring species. For instance, capuchin monkeys that you can find eventually everywhere. In some places they would take a shitload of birds like macaws, mm-hmm. macaws do very well on on degraded sites. Also, they are good on feeding on the remaining pounds that stay on the on the on the cattle, ran, cattle ranches. Yep. So they eat a lot of macaws on that kind of site, and some individuals and tools are the ones that are performing better. They learn how to hunt armadillos on the fields, yes. and those individuals, they just go well with deforestation, but doesn't happen every time, unfortunately, but the yeah. ones that can adapt to feed on armadillos, they just go perfect. They eat a shitload of them. They bring like four armadillos at once to the nest. Right. The
0: pigs are extremely fat and they, they keep doing well. Oh, wow. And that's what it's all about. It's adaptability, isn't it? The the eagles are just adapting to whether it's anteaters, like you say, who've moved in to feed on termites, macaws or uh, armadillos. Wow. I, I mean, I... I need to see some of these pictures that you're getting on camera tracks because it sounds <laughs> it, it look, sounds. Well, follow me that. on Instagram. I promise yeah, you'll I'll get, get it somewhere. Yeah, definitely, because it sounds absolutely brilliant. Okay, <clears throat> someone's asked another question, which I knew would come along at some point. Um, I've got a friend who who we had on here actually, James Aldridge, who's a wildlife cameraman. And he's, he had a very famous encounter with a harpy eagle. They put a camera on a nest and he got attacked by the female um, and she nearly knocked him out. Uh, well, I think he, he, she essentially did at one point. Have you, someone's just asked how close have you been to being attacked by a harpy eagle? I have been attacked
1: like once and they tried to scare me and they succeeded on doing so. On two occasions, Uh, and all of them were were the that that was out of stupidity, because we could not we could not observe that the nest had a, a small chick. So and we could not find a nearby tree to observe it, and we could see nothing with the binoculars. We had to go up to take a look at it. Yeah, and on that specific occasion, I was going up right and i saw the ego she was vocalizing a lot she was obviously pissed off with me and she changed it from the nest tree to a tree that was a bit taller and could offer her a leverage point towards me right yeah. very typical heavy hatter attitude and i kept an eye for her and she was really interested on me while I was with my back towards her. That's exactly what James said. Yes, she was really, really interested on in my back. And I was spinning on the rope. I was far from the, from the other side of the rope and I was spinning a bit and going up. And I was so focused on her that I didn't notice that the, the nest had a, a small young inside. I was just looking at her all the time. Yeah. and i was spinning and i saw with the corner of my eye she dropping from the branch like that, that's a fucking scariest thing to happen to you because i was spinning and i just saw her dropping just saw her dropping like that thing of a giant hatler just jumping yeah. in the air and opening the wings and i was like she's coming for for me right now and i had the the very good idea of wrapping my legs on the other side of the rope and coming towards her facing her on like the last split second of it yeah. and she changed directions like in the in the last two meters maybe yeah. before before reaching me yeah. and that obviously scared me I actually was able on that right point to look at the nest and see the small young, and i was like okay i'm going out and then i got down and that was it for that day and on two other occasions the the yang was already fledged so they're not really aggressive on that, that point and they just came to inspect me normally with the with prey on the on the feet they just came to take a look
0: what you're up to. I kind of, part of me having having just chatted to you now um, and and knowing about your background before before you go into harpy eagles, part of me thought you would probably like getting beaten up by a harpy eagle. You'd actually this this was your this was your sort of thing. You've gone from having fights with humans to fights with massive eagles, which is <laughs> right right up your street. But I could imagine it's absolutely terrifying. But it's interesting. James James said exactly the same thing. Whenever his back was turned. That's when she, and she knew she'd watch him. And as soon as he turned on the ropes, she was, yeah, she was coming in. So is there a, is there a, it's when the they're, they're most aggressive, it makes sense then when they've got very small chicks up to what sort of age do you think or possibly? So there is more
1: chicks to, to the age that the youngest pledges. Yeah. That's when they are the most aggressive and the eggs. And I yeah. don't recommend anyone to trying to climb a nest with eggs. It's bad for the eagles. It's bad for you. Yeah. Same thing for small chicks. For chicks that have less than 15 days, I would not recommend anyone to do that. Yeah. If you have a very good reason, you may go there to, don't know, weigh the chick and do that kind of stuff. But I really don't don't recommend that kind of too invasive research.
0: Well, I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't think there's anyone watching this that's probably thinking I'm going to do, do it anyway. I think we're quite safe for the knowledge that. Don't, that, don't, I mean, me don't get me wrong. I, I, I wouldn't mind doing it, but I'll be wearing a. I'll be wearing a crash helmet. That's that's
1: for sure. Um, <laughs> you know about but, uh, about wearing wearing helmets. Uh, Shane McPherson, you may know him. He uh, done yeah, with Malawi yeah. in South yeah. Africa for for many years. Did an amazing work there he painted eyes on his helmet to avoid being attacked very clever.
0: Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah. good idea. All right. So obviously, yeah, you're going up and you're putting these cameras on the nests. So just again, for people who just, don't know much about harp eagles i'm conscious that we've been talking for a long time um how long are the ch- how long are the chicks in the nest for or the young in the nest for how how long's the breeding season for a harp eagle that'll be an easy question. well as far as we know they are not seasonal but the young remains
1: on the nest all the time being an unfledged chick for up to 5 7 months and from then on you have more 30, 36 months until the young disperses. From 20 months are are ahead, they will not be around the nest tree. They will be fed elsewhere. There will be yeah. already a, a bit of dispersion. And with 30, 36 months, they will be gone and tended. the couple will start a new breeding cycle. So it's kind of three use let's say.
0: Yeah. I seem to I seem to remember there was a paper that came out on harpy eagles. You correct me if I'm wrong, about where the adult birds, when they've got a youngster, obviously they only have one chick, um, they they hunt further away from the nest with the with the and the, I think the theory or the the idea was that the surrounding area of the nest was left, the prey species were left for when the eagle fledged and started hunting for itself. Is that right? I haven't made that up, have I? Well, that, that's a the,
1: the hypothesis that a lot of people defend, but there is no evidence in favor of it. Right, but okay. if, there is a lot of people who understand a lot about harp eagles and people who I respect, like Eduardo Alvarez Cordero, who yeah. say that uh, they hunt in a kind of donut shape around the nest and preserve, preserve a bit of prey nearby the nest to all day and to, to learn hunting. Yeah, I don't know how we could test that. It would be kind of impossible to make a very nice test of it. But a lot of people defend that hypothesis.
0: I suppose the only way you could possibly do it is by um, is g- GPS tagging is if you had two adults that would GPS tagged so you could understand, you know, the distance that they were. And, and I was going to ask you, actually, is, is there anywhere anyone that's doing any studies GPS tagging Harpy eagles? Not really. I don't know if the GPS could solve it for Harpy
1: eagles. You would need a really high frequency GPS for having that to work. Like one, one heifer every 15 minutes, I think. It's not impossible, but it's not easy. And yeah. you would need a shitload of of adults equipped with telemetry devices. I would say 15 20 adults and finding 15 to 20 harp eagles is not easy. Yeah. And no one has managed to develop uh useful, replicable, cheap technique to trap the adults. So yeah. there is no one working on telemetry on them what we have regarding sp- space use and gps tagging and so on is with fledged eagles right so people got into the nest but telemetry devices on the unfledged chick the chick fledged. it takes don't know one year one year and a half to start to disperse yeah and then the telemetry device is not working anymore
0: so. yeah that, yeah
1: Yeah. My my colleagues on Harpy research will be pissed off at me, but you learn nothing. You learn zero, essentially zero. Yeah. Yeah. You have program fund data. They introduced 49 individuals in Panama. They have a shitload of telemetry data about those individuals. A lot of it is is GPS telemetry. Mm -hmm. But they didn't publish that yet and you need a really good data cruncher to dive into that amazing set of data to make a synthesis and allow, allow us to understand that may be a bit better than the usual telemetry data about harp eagles because it refers to it refers to individuals that are a bit older and. In some cases they are adults. So it allows us to learn a bit. But no one has ever telemetered adult harp eagles that actually have a wrong range, have a breeding yeah. territory,
0: have a nest and so on. No one has ever done that. Yeah. OK, fair enough. Someone's just asked a question, and I, I've, I've lost it now because it's scrolled down, but I, I got the gist of it, and it was something I was going to ask as well. We've talked about deforestation. Someone's asked whether there was a – is there ever a conflict between harp eagles predating livestock, I, i.e. chickens? Um, and I, and I, I'm one of the things that I'm always really interested in is the human – bird-of-prey conflict aspect of, of any any species. So is is there much conflict, chicken eating? Well, there
1: is, it's not a lot. It's more of a, let's say, a tale that is, this is a haptor that eats livestock. And regarding the chickens, they are the lesser of my problems. They also eat pigs, they eat dogs, they eat small goats, small sheep, so yeah. it's not it's not the usual haptor. They do shit that uh, I, I'm not happy with. Yeah. But less than 20% of the birds that have been shot were actually involved in livestock predation. Most yeah. of them were not. And people were just like so oh, this is a haptor. It's a very large one, I don't know what it is. And they kill it to, we have an expression in Portuguese that we say, see with the hands, when you want to experience something by touching it. Yeah. It's a, a very usual feeling for someone to kill a harp eagle in the region where I live. That's kind of something from the past now because the project is well known on the region I am. And people are aware that harp eagles have an economic value. So this happens, it's very uncommon nowadays or or in the system nowadays compared to what it was in the past, but that was the usual, the usual feeling. And it's more common to them to take livestock on small ranchers and small ranchers, as you know, are very, they have very little tolerance for, for predator destruction of livestock. Very, very little. The small ranchers are the one who actually queued stuff fun prevention on, like it could eat something, so I will kill that.
0: Yeah, yeah. They were yeah. They won't even risk that. Risk the no. actual no. thing no. happening. They'll they'll just try and try and stop it. It's interesting again, sort of linking it in with the with the Philippine eagle that I know they they still do have a lot of issues with people, p- pers- shooting and and trapping. Um, Philippine eagles, and part of that is because of deforestation. It's like a double-edged sword that that the the, the villagers and and people are encroaching on the eagles' habitat, and because they're cutting down the forest, it's bringing the eagles closer to the edge. And the eagles are hunting the the sort of periphery of, and and in in such a way they're then feeding on chickens and, and, and livestock and, and so on. So do, do you, you don't you obviously see that with the ran the small ranchers, but it does it's it's nice to hear, I suppose, and hopefully for the Philippine Eagle that harp eagles have you, the the knowledge behind harp eagles and, and has has moved on. And hopefully the same will happen for Philippine Eagles as well. Yes, sure.
1: yes, perhaps. One one thing that may be a big difference between the, the Philippine Eagles and here.
0: I think I froze. You're right. right. We've got you. I'm back. Yeah, you're back. We still got you. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, one big difference is that here,
0: the large ranchers. Forest, are you hearing me? Yeah, you you're freezing a little bit, so we didn't get that bit. It's okay again. Yeah, 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 you're back again.
1: uh The thing is that on the larger ranchers in Brazil, you have the headquarters really far away from the forest, and normally you have no forest nearby, and that creates little opportunity to the harpy eagles to to go prey on livestock. Yeah. But with the small ranchers, they normally build the houses nearby the streams, like 60-70 meters from the streams, so yeah. that they can ease the, the water collection from the for the for the houses and so on. And that creates opportunity to the hard people to prey on the livestock. But another trait that may be very, very different from the Philippines and even from Brazil itself is that the region of the Ark of Deforestation is occupied ethnically by people from southern Brazil, from migrants of southern Brazil, right? And these people don't eat monkeys, don't eat curacao, paper, tortoise. They are not forest people. They raise cattle. They may eat a peccary because it looks like a pig, but they don't hunt like everything that passes be- before they are the eyes yeah and so there is no food competition right there is no one hunting catching monkeys to make the 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 eagles uh food stressed that should point to be eating a lot of livestock just to give you an idea on those cameras that i trapped that i put on, on on nas up to now i never found any domestic livestock on it
0: okay i only
1: recorded domestic livestock predation by interviews and in less than 20 percent of the cases where we we had an eagle being shot
0: good that's 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 positive that's good to that's good to hear right okay i am conscious of time because we've been on for a long time so we've got to come to the the sort of the great work that you're doing obviously we've talked about the nests that you're monitoring your early days and and the work with the brazil nut um harvesters um and a bit about the indigenous people. Uh, tourism, That's it's because for you, it's all about making conservation work for, for, for everyone really, isn't it, if, if, if I'm right? So talk a little bit about the, the, the tourism aspect then to finish off. So
1: the, the tourism came to my mind as a, a replica or a way to mirror what we have in the same state with the Jaguars, right? We have hmm. a lot of Jaguar tourism in the southern part of that same state in Pantanal. And on the last year, this brought like $7 million for the state. Wow. And that's a lot of money. And yeah. the Jaguars nowadays actually value a lot of money. Yeah. So people think twice before shot one because it's killer a call or, or something like that. Yeah. And I try to replicate that here, but starting with the right suit. And what I want to say with that, I was willing to have the, the property owner being benefited by it since the first day, right? So we have a a, a share from each tourist coming that goes directly to the landowner, right? Yeah and when we are working in small properties we also hire the landowner to help us on every activity on yeah. transport and tower building and trail cleaning and we normally have the tourist on his house to make a snack taste a, a local organic coffee and that kind of activity and yeah. they end up making like if a guy if a small landowner has a, a hard people on his property he can expect to increase his profit by by 50 percent
0: wow it's a big difference
1: yes it's a lot of money for them and with the big landowners it's kind of the same thing but they will receive money and do do nothing like they they don't need to be with us there and we normally tell them they they just give us the eagle and we give them money just yeah. don't destroy a forest, and we'll pay you uh, a little something for having
0: that forest there. Yeah, and and they support that as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it, no, it works perfectly with both with both ends. So uh, we have contracts with all people that have assets on their, their properties. We have contracts with them for doing so. Doing
0: so essentially to get because you're you're working alongside someone. If I believe reading the article, um you're putting up towers um, near to a, a safe distance from act, an active nest so that you're almost, based on your work, guaranteed to see a, a harpy eagle in,
1: in the wild. Yeah, so we actually guarantee the, the scene based <coughs> on, on statistics. Remember the camera data I told you? Yeah. So I can essentially calculate how much someone needs to stay for seeing an adult, and we don't sell anything shorter than that. Yeah, and we sell that with a guarantee. Yeah, and we give the person eighty percent of the money back if he he or she does not see the eagle. So right. people normally, when we say that we guarantee viewing of wildlife, people think, "Oh, you are doing a bad bad thing. You are yeah. feeding the animals. You are doing." Some yeah. bullshit to, to guarantee that people will see them. But it's just the statistics. You just yeah. need to calculate the probability yeah. of thing one. How, how many days does that take? And then you, you don't sell anything shorter than that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What um, how how have obviously because every pair of eagles is is different in in the way that they behave and respond to to things in their environment. So how have you found that the platforms, these towers that are up to ninety feet, is that right? Um yes. talk, how have you had any problems with eagles? You know, not not tolerating it or. No, you may remember that the the my starting point
1: is that the net harvesters go to those nests.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And they usually are not hunters. Yeah. So the thing is that the eagles have been incidentally habituated to people. people by visiting. them. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because
1: they they get visitors periodically, yeah. and they grow up in an environment that there is people collecting collecting nets. All the time so they usually don't care anything about us we have in 30 nests we have two pairs that don't like people very much yeah and both cases are cases where you had in a logging site you have a, a tree being fed that touches the nest tree the brazil nut tree yeah. during the nesting process I've and those too. eagles hate people and obviously we don't work in those yeah. specific places with tourism. Unless yeah. you are in a situation where the chick is very small and the, the adults will tolerate you no matter what. But normally yeah. we don't work on, on those places.
0: Right. So how how is it going then? How obviously how how, how long have you been running the, the sort of tourism aspect
1: for uh, ha- three
0: years? Yeah. We have
1: had tourism here and we just broke even on the last year so all the investment done was paid off yeah and we had liquid profit for the first time in three years now it's just to to keep going and increase the the number of visits essentially and consequently the number of nests yeah this year obviously will not happen because of the pandemics yeah but we may have a a longer long tailored tourism season because yeah. by the end of the year we may have things getting back to normal and having visits on the on the amazon forest again yeah so yeah. the plan from now on is just to, to keep increasing it and i mean having more tourists and more nests
0: yeah right and, and in turn obviously that that benefits harpy eagles and harpy eagle conservation and then trickles down and and all, yeah, as we've already discussed, has a, has a big yeah. impact on, on this. That.
1: This allows the people from the Amazon to own and drive conservation, not to be told by someone else in a developed country what they should be doing, right? Yeah. It's a way of generating concrete value from it, not yeah. saying it's left, that the, the forest is cool and it's important and climate change and so on. It's just a way to, to offer something very concrete and very immediate for the people
0: yeah and and that's one of the reasons why again i I fell in love with the work in the philippines with the philippine eagle foundation because they're essentially empowering the the locals the indigenous people to protect the forest to look after the forest to 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 work alongside the eagles because that's the only way you're gonna conserve these places is by empowering these people who live alongside them. Not like exactly, not like someone like me sat in the UK dictating to to another. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Making a protest
1: against deforestation.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Right, Everton, I won't keep you any longer because you've been the longest one we've done yet. We've been on for like <laughs> nearly, well, well over an hour anyway. I could sit here all night and talk to you about um, about Harpy Eagles and I'm definitely going to be coming out and visiting. I'm sure of that anyway, um, but I'll probably watch you go up the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I can let you um, climb. Yeah, um, But yeah, thank you very much for taking the time to chat to us. I'll I'll put a link up to the National Geographic thing, and if you've got any other websites or anything you want to share, um, I, let me know. I'll put it on I up don't there. have a website, but
1: in case someone is interested in coming here to see the eagles, someone who is interested in, in wildlife photography and tourism, you can visit southwidepot.com. That is the tourism company website and you can book a trip with them and i have a a little instagram page if anyone is interested in seeing Harp eagle photos from time to time Uh, yeah i post a camera trap photo there so you can find me on instagram and that's it i think thank you so much for for inviting me it's nice to have the world around
0: no, it's a pl- it's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, right, I'll I'll put that on. I'll put South Wild on, on as well. I'll share that and I'll I'll will fi- find you on Instagram and I'll share that with people so they can uh, they can have it. Right, I'll end the live stream now. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We've got um, we're in India on Tuesday. We're talking about black kites and, in India. Right, cheers.